Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 255 on Monday, the 13th of May, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan, and there's no Andrew, but I'll talk about that in a second. Nevertheless, I'm going to be talking about grim news for Swindon, better news for Luton and or Aylesmere Port, and a reliably predictable survey that, well, isn't this year. Uh, so yes, it's just me tonight, folks. Uh, I'm afraid uh, logistics have made it impossible this week, and given he ended up dumped, uh, dumped with with having to re-record the show himself uh, last week, uh, given the given the the trials and tribulations of trying to record for me from a hotel room in Romania, uh, then uh, then I I just said look, it's easiest if I do it. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Let's dive straight in to some uh, of the follow-up. And we begin, as ever, uh, it seems these days, with Carlos Ghosn. Um, so some news out today. This continues to tick along. His super, ultra, offensive legal team, I mean that as in on the offensive rather than swearing at people, uh, have been saying that it's been impossible uh, for Carlos Ghosn to control, to receive... Uh, any money through a man uh, to his personal account. He doesn't have any control there. Um, and that he has told Unitiro Hironaka, uh, his attorney, uh, that it is impossible for that kind of thing to happen. Uh, there is a trial coming up. It is... I mean, it's, it says even this Automotive News Europe uh, article saying, Gohan is now preparing for his trial, which may begin later this year or next. So, yeah, at some point there'll be a trial. Uh, however, there will be a pre-trial hearing scheduled for the 23rd of May. So we'll see what happens er, uh, about then. I mean, right at the minute, uh, Mr. Gohan is, is, is not in jail. Uh, after the hundreds of days he spent there already, um, he is under pretty severe sort of bail conditions uh, and the like. But that's where it's going with him right at the moment. In the wider world of Nissan and Renault, however, uh, Nissan is said to be pushing back on Renault's uh, continued uh, attempts to merge the two companies. I mean... There was supposedly talks about this have been ongoing since uh, Renault chairman uh, Jean-Dominique Senard uh, first made sort of informal proposals to Hiroto Saikawa, the Nissan CEO, uh, a little while ago. Uh, the discussions aren't public, uh, but supposedly uh, Nissan is declining to comment on, on any discussions around that. I mean, Nissan is set to report uh, what's supposedly going to be its lowest annual operating profit in a in a decade. It's uh, got slumping U.S. sales. Its product cycle just doesn't really line up, and it's got you know some pretty old models there. Yeah, all I have to do is say Duke, uh, and you understand kind of what I'm saying. And Duke 370Z uh, and TTR have all been around for oh, must be getting on for a decade by now anyway. The thing is that uh, an actual merger with a 50-50 owned holding company and then split underneath would probably actually benefit Nissan, uh, given the way that the ownership of the two com- 
companies is set up where Renault owns more of Nissan than Nissan owns of Renault and of course there's the fact that the major shareholder is the French government which Nissan really isn't keen on having them as the major shareholder within Nissan uh, but if the three companies in the alliance uh, combine because obviously there's there's Mitsubishi in there which we rarely speak of um, but a combined Renault uh, Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi, according to Automotive News, would probably be about the second biggest automotive manufacturer globally. Uh, that's coming just behind Toyota, uh, just behind Volkswagen, pardon me, and just ahead of Toyota, uh, with uh, 10.76 million vehicle sales uh, as at uh, 2018. So, yeah, Volkswagen 10.81, Toyota 10.59, and General Motors, a fair old drop below 8.38 million vehicles sold in, in 2018. So, again, I don't want to I don't want to spend lots of time on this. Uh, if you want to know more details about that, this automotive news article uh, really is, is very good. Uh, and the link, of course, will be in the show notes. Next up is a very quick one because it is, I don't know if it is a rumour or if it's not quite a rumour, uh, but it was based on a tweet from uh, Peter Campbell, uh, who is the motor industry correspondent of the Financial uh, the Financial Times. Uh, on the 13th of May, when was that? Today, uh, just after lunch, uh, where he tweeted a small, uh, a small excerpt uh, image that he'd, he'd taken from, from a document saying, following a meaningful and robust consultation process, which included contributions from collective consultation groups, the UK government and external consultants engaged by Unite, uh, Honda has reached a conclusion that no viable alternatives to the proposed closure of the Swindon plant have been identified. So it's unlikely to be, well, it's, it's not going to be repurposed by Honda. And of course, the $60,000 question remains, would anybody else want a large automotive plant in the south of England and frankly I can't think of anyone who who would uh, certainly that, that hasn't already got uh, possibly underused plants here in the UK anyway um, it's a tricky one this for Honda and, and for Swindon I mean the part of the challenge is, is that you know the current current Honda Civic is is a global vehicle and also that uh, that uh, that Tesla, uh, this you know, even in March, Tesla registered more vehicles in Europe than Honda did, and seventeen point four thousand compared to seventeen point one thousand. Um, so you know, when that kind of thing is is happening, then it's it's pretty hard to say quite what's going on and and how everything's gonna gonna balance up there. Don't know how much you know political uncertainties, financial uncertainties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, are playing into it uh, but when you're not selling very much in this part of the world but you are selling the same vehicle uh, that can be established in the same plants in, in the US uh, in 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 Japan and the Far East as well where you're already making the vehicle in right hand drive then that duplication of factories is probably not so important uh, similar you know that goes for Civic and it goes for CRV as well so that's a right, real shame. If there's more news, obviously we should bring that back in follow-up in the nearish future. Anyhow, let's move on to some new news and some better news. And this time it is from 
from PSE Group. Uh, they say that they may well build the, the next generation Peugeot 308 and Opel Stroke Vauxhall Astra uh, in the UK and in Germany, which would make a lot of sense, uh, really. Um, supposedly they're evaluating Ellesmere Port in the UK and Rüsselsheim in Germany uh, as the two places that they could build them. Um, obviously, it's made harder by, you know, Brexit uncertainty. I'm sorry, that's two stories in a row I've said that. Uh, but, yeah. Um, where, you know, if, if there was no trading deal at, at the time of, of, of any Brexit happening, then that would, uh, then that would of course, make it harder for it to be Ellesmere Port. But it's great to know that it's, it's actually in the consider in consideration uh, elsewhere port right at the minute build uh estate versions of the astra for both right and left hand drive markets so we'll see what happens there but there's good to know that at least elsewhere port is in the running uh and we will we will see where where that's going to go it would make a, a lot of it would make a lot of sense internally because uh the Peugeot plant at Sushul, uh, which is near strasbourg if you are wondering uh, it builds the 3008 DS5, the Vauxhall Opel Grandland X. Uh, Malou's just along the road builds 2008, uh, 508, as well as C4, DS4, and DS7 crossbacks. So, actually, spreading it out, that's all very close together. Um, but that's, uh, but there's a sort of need to, to sort of spread that across. Uh, the demise of the Zafira means Rüsselheim has a spare line. It may well make more sense to actually concentrate onto the Rüsselheim with its multiple, its its multiple lines. So the uh, the Astra goes alongside the Insignia there, but we'll see. I mean, it's all it's all changed because the you know all those former GM uh, developed platforms are all need to sort of transition and rationalise down to match in with the the PSA. The PSA lines, I would imagine, because that's going to be much, much cheaper. There's less chance of you uh, actually having to pay, actually having to pay royalties to General Motors for any little tiny bits and pieces, like your, I don't know, some tiny widget in there that still needs to be bought from 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 GM. So, so yeah, I would imagine they'll 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 sort of rationalise, but when they rationalise, it'll go towards being uh, PSA platforms. Anyway, once again, it's something that we'll keep an eye on, and as soon as we know any better, then we shall pass it on. A little bit more news, particularly if you uh, have had a chance to listen to our Alternative Fuels uh, chat, uh, where we covered, we talked quite a lot about ele electric uh, power and a bit about charging and stuff uh, the other week. If you haven't had a chance to listen, uh, then we had... Uh, uh, we had Tom Callow uh, and we had Alex Grant uh, on with both Andrew and I uh, and we actually remembered to let them do most of the talking this time uh, which was which was good, it was great, it was really interesting and uh, two people with, with strong opinions and, uh, and great insights as well so it was an absolute delight having them on uh, but the but the News that we wanted to, to to pass on, and this time really, is that there's going to be four, that uh, BP Charge Master on their Polar network 
are going to be rolling out 400 150 kilowatt charger units by 2021 there's going to be uh, 100 at 50 sites by the end of 2019 so starting off uh, pretty impressively there why is that important because as we get bigger batteries in cars of course it takes longer to charge them at lower power ratings so it was one of the big differences i noticed uh, there'll be a, uh, a hyundai kona ev review out at some point possibly at the end of the week but right at the minute i'm not prepared to commit to any dates or times um but that should be out soon. And you'll notice one of the things I point I, I, I say in there is how I've noticed how much longer it takes to charge. When you've got a bigger battery, it takes longer to charge. And that was one of the, the key differences between the the uh, uh, between the Kona and, and the Ionic that we did charge around Britain uh, in what God, over 18 months or so ago now. Uh, so this kind of stuff and keeping on investing and keeping on upgrading the charger network uh, is really quite important. I mean, Podpoint here, Ionity, um, and others are also rolling out these much faster sort of ultra chargers or whatever across the UK as well. So please don't think it's just BP Charge Master. Of course, Tesla superchargers uh, will blast through up to 120 kilowatts, um, which is, well, the current rapid charges are mostly about 50 kilowatts so that gives you an idea of the kind of the kind of um kind of steps it's like triple so now that there's the, the uh, a pretty decent infrastructure in there it's time to it's time to ramp it up to keep on keep on investing uh, one of the names i notice is missing from here is uh is ecotricity um, and if you wonder why I grumble about ecotricity, uh, it's because what upsets me most is they, they is is their lack of change and evolution. I mean, if you look at their charges, they're all a bit old and rubbishy nowadays. Uh, they're also not very powerful. They're not very reliable either, which is the big kicker. Um, so whereas most of these other uh, most of the other the other charging companies seem to be investing quite heavily in new chargers and better chargers and faster chargers there's, there's a sort of general there seems to be stagnation there and if you do work for ecotricity and you do want to tell me that i'm wrong uh, and what the actual situation is and that i'm missing something then do please get in touch because i would love to be put right on this one um partly because your charges are in such flipping obvious places and it I'm repeating myself from the from the alternative fuel special edition here, but it it just bugs me that they're the ones that people see and try and use and can't use and then go oh it takes so long and oh it's unreliable and all these other things. So just yeah, oh I've turned into an ecotricity rant. I'm so sorry. I'll stop myself one of these days. Really, honestly, I I will. More new news really uh, a more decent new news as as well uh, and that's Polestar so Polestar the uh, Volvo's electric performance brand uh, is going to open a new R&D center in Coventry uh, and that seems a bit strange until you realize that they already have an R&D center down by well they 
have stroke had uh, are indeed down near near Bicester in in Oxfordshire. They're a big place there, uh, but it looks like they're enlarging that. They're moving it closer to the sort of core of core of the UK's um, core of the UK's uh, automotive engineers, but of course basing it around that sort of Coventry and Warwick area. Uh, according to this article, Motoring Research, the company is going to take on sixty specially skilled uh, engineers to work on development of future products uh, and that's beyond the Polestar 3 which is going to be an electric SUV. Don't forget Polestar 2 is the one that was shown at Geneva and Polestar 1 is the not really a super coupe um, which is very limited production uh, and is the, the starting uh, the starting point there so fantastic i mean there's going to be still going to be an, an r&d team based in sweden uh but it's great that more of that kind of stuff is is happening uh here in the uk uh, especially useful given i don't know you think why coventry and then you go oh hang on a minute here it their parent company geely of course uh has an electric vehicle company already based in Coventry, one that makes black cabs. So, of course, it would make sense if that was near the London Electric Vehicle Company, uh, which mm, still a couple, still a few hours drive from from, from Hethel and Lotus, though. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Although Lotus also have a design centre. Very soon they'll be taking over the whole of Coventry at this uh, at this rate, I think. One last story before the before guilt minute, uh, and that's about car insurance. And again, it's another one from Motoring Research, uh, but it's saying that there's uh, there is some research that has been done uh, by a company called Vantage Leasing. Now, I'd never really hear, heard of Vantage Leasing, but their their managing director is called Rob Walker, which always reminds me of uh, reminds me of catchphrase. But it's looking at car insurance uh, and car insurance premiums uh, and just what happens with the quotations as you change some of the factors. And one of the things that's, that's strange is, is that it, it suggests that in certain circumstances, having nine points on your license uh, can actually mean that you end up with cheaper car insurance premiums than starting from absolutely zero with, a no claim, with no no claims bonus whatsoever. So starting out, um, so if you're someone who's maybe been driving for years and years and years, uh, but you've only just got your own car, so you're starting off with zero, uh, no claims bonus. If if you've racked up nine points uh, in not your own cars or not your own vehicles before you have to insure your own, you may well be cheaper than someone who's going, well, look, I've just moved back to the UK after many years. I have no no claims bonus. There it is. Um, supposedly the nine points, by the way, were about 10% cheaper in some cases. Uh, supposedly it got worse because you still got cheaper quotes with six points than you did with three years no claims bonus uh, or less than that. And in other little bits and pieces, uh, uh, in other bits and pieces, then sometimes actually parking a car in your garage results in a higher, a higher insurance premium than saying you are parking it in the road now remember the thing about this is it is it's great for headlines and, and i guess we're pandering to it by 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 playing that back but you've got to remember that the, the thing the the trouble with car insurance uh, here in the uk and, and for those of you who don't know 
here in the UK, you're not just insuring the car or you're not just insuring the driver. You're insuring this kind of weird hybrid of the two. Um, so it's it's not just uh, so it's not just my my Yaris that's being insured. It's it's my Yaris in the context of me or anyone else who could potentially drive it on my policy. Uh, so if you take someone like Johnny with a shared vehicle then the policy that I think I'm the primary driver and then um, my best mate's the secondary one so I have to make sure that he's named on the policy and all his details are on there too so that you can balance it up and, and that it's the combination of myself uh, of, of and, my, and the car that gets insured just there so it's it's it, it, here in the UK it is really weird and it means that you can never say well mine was this much and whereas somebody else who lives next door uh, could have completely different um, could have a completely different premium on the same car it also depends on how long you've been with your insurance company because uh, it seems that loyalty really doesn't pay uh, when it comes to UK car insurance policies and, and that's one that never mind your points on your license if you have any um, never mind your no claims bonus shopping around is the best way to, to save money uh, on car insurance here in the UK anyway that takes me to a guilt minute and it's a moment where first of all I just want to thank uh, our patrons, so the people that help make this happen uh, every week and help us do cool and interesting stuff of which we're trying to do more and better. Uh, if you feel that you that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button right there on the front page. If you're already a patron, Thank you so very much. We really do appreciate it. Both new patrons and people who've been patrons for really quite a long time. It's every month we it's there, we know, and, and, and we feel the benefit. So thank you so very much. Uh, we know that not everyone has the ability to do that, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast playing platform of your choice. Uh, if you've done all that, then you really are wonderful. Uh, but how's about accosting a mate who you think would enjoy this as well and telling them about us, uh, steal their phone, uh, subscribe us via, via whichever podcasting app is on there. Uh, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, uh, how's about doing it for free using a podcasting app on your mobile device? Uh, the vast majority of our listeners uh, listen via a mobile device uh, because podcasts are great when you are commuting or when you are sitting at work trying to just get on with things. Uh, and it's much easier to play it via your phone, some headphones, than most computers. Uh, subscribing is free, uh, of course, and there are excellent podcast apps for whatever whatever uh, operating system your mobile device runs on if you're not sure uh, if you don't really know how to do that then why not get in touch I will give out the the usual social media addresses uh, at the end of the show uh, just ask uh, and we'll be absolutely delighted to take a few minutes to help you anyway that'll do let's move into motorsport corner uh, again, as usual, uh, why, why did we manage to fit, to choose two motorsport series, uh, you know, however many years ago, uh, that always had their races on the same weekend? Well, yeah, 
I'm going to blame Andrew because it's far more fun blaming Andrew than, than anything else. No, I've, I've been nice nice about him already this evening. Uh, but let's start off with the Monaco E-Pri. Uh, was one, it was one, I actually got a chance to watch it live. Unusually, almost unheard of, I actually watched it live as it happened. Uh, and I thought it was a pretty good race, actually. Um What's interesting about Formula E uh, when it's at Monaco, and it's only at Monaco every second year because it uh, it uh, swaps over with the historic Grand Prix and Classic Grand Prix. Uh, so what was really interesting was that for a Formula E track, it's incredibly wide. Uh so there wasn't quite, you know, whereas Formula One drivers say, oh, you know, uh, Monaco is so tight. Well, they don't actually say, oh, it's so tight. They go, oh, for sure. Um, but, you know, they find it uh, a very tight track. They find it a very technical track. And for Formula E drivers, they're like, whoa, we've got all this space. It's amazing. It's more than a car and a half wide. And so there was far less of the the sort of wacky races, bumper cars, action uh, than than we quite often end up with uh, in Formula E races. Anyway, this year, right off the... Uh, uh, yeah. It, uh, the final... It was all a bit... It was all a bit mixed up, really. But uh, anyway, the final positions were, were that Felipe Massa came in third for the Venturi Formula E team. Oliver Rowland was second for Nissan Edams, and Jean-Éric Verne uh, won for the DS Tichita team, which was rather good. Uh, there was... Uh, pole position originally was by Oliver Rowland, uh, and the fastest lap was by Pascal Verlein uh, for Mahindra as well. So there were, you know, bonus points in there, in there for the, in there for those particular drivers. Yes, uh, car 28, I've just lost that. Oh, Antonio uh, Thingy de Costa for BMW Andretti uh, was disqualified uh, after the race. Uh, he used over 200 kilowatts of power, uh, which is a big no-no. So he, he went over the power limit that you're allowed to use for the entire race. Um, yeah, uh, Lucas Degrassi had a, a pretty nasty... A pretty nasty smash. There were a couple of bits and pieces that that happened, but mostly it was a it was a good race with good clean overtaking, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Uh, there were, yeah, there were some bits and pieces. I'm going to tell you what for a much better, more coherent discussion of this. Uh, then I do have a little bit of a look at the e racing three six five Monaco post race notebook. Again, links in the show notes. Uh, just there, but lots of bits and pieces. Oliver Ro- uh, Robin Freen's got grid penalties, um, and yeah, all sorts of stuff from from before and after the race uh, in there. One thing I mentioned is Jean Eric Verden was five was fined five thousand euros by the way for slackening his safety belt during the cool down lap after taking the checkered flag. So, so that was rather. He might have been a bit more comfortable, but he's a bit a bit worse off uh, as a result. Uh, one of the things I, I also noticed is that um, the dullest man in motorsport, Nico Rosberg, uh, drove Prince Albert of Monaco around the Formula E circuit 
in the uh, Jaguar I-Pace e-Trophy and they have a VIP car it seems which I imagine has you know a passenger seat um, uh, around that so so I guess that's pretty cool I haven't seen any I forgot to tune in I, I was at home kind of vegging um, but I, I completely forgot to tune in to any of the the I-Pace trophy stuff uh, that was on as well I must try and make a point of that next race Right, let's move on very quickly to WRC, which I didn't really see, but I was completely aware of the uh, uh, of the results uh, because uh, Otanak of Toyota uh, won it, and therefore I see more of their tweets than anything else. Um, but it was again uh, a race of attrition, as seems to be the way with WRC. I mean, there was a Thierry Neuville's crashing out was really quite something i mean wow it says so much about the engineering of these cars and the roll cages within these cars uh that um that he's he survived could walk away from that because that's yeah it's just quite something on the autosport site there's a link to the sort of highlight roll from wrc and it mostly seems to involve flying body parts uh and car body parts by the way <laughs> not driver or co-driver body parts thank thank goodness uh anyway the top uh on the way and uh, the top was a third sebastian Loeb for hyundai uh second sebastian ogier uh for citroen and oh, first was Ottanak, of course of toyota kazoo racing uh, power stages, Tanak nailed that one as well to get even more points. And then uh, Ogier was second. And a Yari Mati Latvala, who has a fantastic name to pronounce, uh, came in third. Came third in there with that 3.1 seconds behind. Uh, that leaves the driver stands with Sebastian Ogier uh, up at the top Otta, uh, with 122 points. Ot Tanak at 112 and Thierry Neuville at uh, 110 points the reason i read out the points is because fourth is chris meek with 56 so i mean there's still all to play for um up at the top of the championship there uh, with, with those three from ogier tenek and Neuville, uh there so we'll see how that develops uh, as time goes on uh chris meek by the way did get a a, a uh <laughs> did get a penalty for removing the damaged windscreen in his car when he felt that bits of uh, bits of glass were coming in, uh, the problem with that was that there was uh, he did it he did it in a period when he wasn't meant to. He was really not happy about it. I'll let you read the the colourful language uh, of the Autosport uh, article because I don't happen to have I don't happen to have the the, uh, the European siren sound effect that Andrew is so fond of using whenever I use slight naughty words. Uh, motorsport corner over with. Let's have a little bit of a look at a, a lunchtime read. So a lunchtime read comes from Car and Classic this week. Last weekend was uh, Japfest, which is a massive, uh, <laughs> uh, which is a massive gathering at Silverstone uh, every year of, of Japanese vehicles in all their shapes and sizes i mean a lot of them being mx5 shaped 
uh, and a lot of them being uh, Nissan GTR sized. Uh, but there are all sorts of bits and pieces around everything from uh, Kai cars uh, and add up the way Honda Preludes also. I'm imagine there's even a Toyota Yaris or two. Uh, but there's all sorts of bits and pieces in there. But Chris Pollitt uh, was there and he was picking out some of the best of the classics, uh, old and new. Uh, and he's got uh, and he's got a, a fine rundown of those. Uh, everything from a Mazda 929 to a Daihatsu Hijet. Uh, and you can follow up with that one on Car and Classic. Link, as always, in the show notes. There's some great stuff on Car and Classic, by the way. Um, as well as browsing through the adverts, they really are starting to to build up a, a, a fair old, a fair old, um, a fair old collection of of just cracking articles to read. Sorry, I've just scrolled far enough down here to get to the Mark II Mazda RX-7 Turbo Convertible, and it really is gorgeous. It's like it's nineteen eighties Japanese awesomeness. So yeah, I'll uh, leave you to, to 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 check the show notes for that and to have a click through and have a bit of a read um, because it's it's brill. Next up is list of the week and list of the week this week is well it's the highlights from the JD Power v- UK Vehicle Dependability Survey and what this does is it measures the number of problems experienced per hundred vehicles. Uh, to find the country's most dependable brands. Now, the thing about this is you've always got to remember with reliability surveys, much as you have to remember with uh, with uh, online review sites, that people are much more likely to be vocal if they're having a rough time of it than if they're having a good time of it. And as well as that, some of it is expectation-based. However... Starting at the bottom of this pick, this I think it's hand-picked uh, selection from from JD Power. Uh, at the bottom, having the roughest time of the lot, BMW one hundred and eighty-one problems per hundred vehicles. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the um, so the study measures one hundred and seventy-seven different sort of problem types by be they exterior driving experience problems features controls and displays uh seats ventilation all this kind of stuff uh engines transmissions of course um bmw was at the bottom next up from bmw was fiat audi was 167 jaguar 159 land rover 142 problems per 100 vehicles uh, but if we scroll on a little bit, then we start to get down to less less than one problem per vehicle. And you've got to scroll quite far. Less than one problem. Yeah, one problem per hundred uh, per vehicle over that hundred. Uh, Mini, you're at 103. Kia, you're at 101. And it's only when you get to Vauxhall that you get to 95. Suzuki, 94. Nissan, 94. Hyundai, 90. Keep on going. And the thing is that right at the top, Skoda were at 88 problems per 100 vehicles, uh, leaving second. So the winner of the 2019 JD Power UK Vehicle Dependability Study is Peugeot. Yep, 
that's a surprise to pretty much everyone, probably including Peugeot, to be perfectly honest. Let's see what happens. Let's see how consistent this is next year as well. Because if, like me, you expected your Subarus and Toyotas and everyone to be up at the top, then it's uh, then then that seems quite unusual, given that pre- that previously uh, Peugeot and Co and the French manufacturers were right down at the bottom with the uh, the Germans up top. But sign of the times. I mean, I know that I had a, a three thousand and eight recently. And it didn't feel like it was going to have any problems, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it, the, the actual perceived quality there was was pretty cracking. But that was a press car. It gets, gets you know, prepared every single time that uh, that it's about to go out. So not always totally uh, a totally reliable indicator. But all the same, I think that that makes that's that's pretty interesting. Some stuff completely predictable, and others completely thrown up in the air. Uh, that leaves us just quickly with an and finally. Uh, the and finally this week. I just don't even know where to begin with this one, to be perfectly honest. I mean, essentially, Bentley makes some smells. There you go. That's all you need to know. But they have they have new new fragrances that they have had formulated by some of the finest Parisian perfumiers, and which have been and which have been packaged in bottles and uh, packaging by uh, Lalique, the French glassworking brand. Uh, and they come along with some... And the descriptions are wonderful. Okay? So, um, oh, there's so many Suits Corner bits here. Here we go. Let, let me... T- to give you an idea of what this is like... And this goes on, by the way, for, oh, a good couple of pages of A4... Uh, let's choose let's choose which one let's read out Bentley Infinite for men Bentley Infinite Eau de Toilette expresses itself through an enticing succession of scents natural fresh citrus top notes combined with the green aromatic hints of lavender and cedar these are quickly followed by a vibrant heart by vibrant heart notes with bourbon pepper violet and geranium the final layer is one of sophisticated sensuality with patchouli, vetiver from Haiti, and an exclusive hint of ambergris. The intense version of Bentley Infinite offers an ever longer lasting fragrance experience as this eau de parfum contains a particularly high percentage of aromas. Its strong first impressions are black pepper combined with geranium, lavender and violet with heart notes rich in spicy essences, nutmeg, Elmi, a valuable Arabian tree gum, Siam Benzoin, the balmy scented resin of the Styrax tree, and a hint of ambergris produces a totally modern masculine effect. Endless pleasure for the senses. I feel slightly sick reading that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm sure it smells lovely. I really am. I'm sure it smells absolutely delightful, uh, and the bottles are very nice, and and that's about all I can say about it. That round, that rounds up. Uh, that rounds up the week, uh, really. Um, as I say, parish notes uh, this week. Please do have a listen to the uh, uh, to the alternative fuel special edition. I promise it contains no descriptions of perfumes or aftershaves or eau de toilette or any personal grooming products at all. Uh, instead, it, it does actually contain experts talking about stuff they know about, and I'm not talking about Andrew and I. Um, 
There will possibly be a special edition by the end of the week. Uh, let's just see what happens there. Um, but other than that, we'll be keeping you up to date with with all the usual bits and pieces uh, on on all the social media uh, between the now uh, between now and the next time. Speaking of now and the next time, it really is time for me to r- open up the proper written end of show wording, as it says here in my notes. Uh, and remind you that you can give you any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our Patreon and our Audible and all the other offers that you can get to 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 help and support us at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your podcast app lets you do such thing. As I say, every single week, it really does matter. To get in touch with me, it's best to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, to get in touch with Andrew, who will be back next week, then do search for Cracked Windscreen uh, on Twitter. And as I say, we'll both be back next week. Until then, I've been Alan Bradley. The invisible partner in this has been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.